Welcome to Conversations with Alan Wolper, a half hour featuring unique personalities whose ideas are on the cutting edge. Alan Wolper is an award-winning journalist. And now, Conversations with Alan Wolper. I'm a little boy with glasses, the one they call the geek. A little girl who never smiles, I've got braces on my teeth. And I know how it feels to cry myself to sleep. And I'm that kid on every playground who's always chosen last. I'm the one who's slower than the others in my class. You don't have to be my friend, but is it too much to ask? Don't laugh at me, don't call me names Don't get your pleasure from my pain In God's eyes, we're all the same Someday we'll all have perfect wings Don't laugh at me That song, Don't Laugh at Me, has been sung by hundreds of thousands of children around the world. Steve Seskin, a Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter who wrote and just performed that classic, travels the United States teaching youngsters how to get along through music as part of Operation Respect, an international organization dedicated to abolish the bullying epidemic in this country. Steve, welcome. Hi. Nice to be here. How did you get to write this song? Tell us a story. Well, I wrote this song with a friend of mine named Alan Shamblin, and the initial uh, impetus for it was uh, he has a seven-year-old daughter. At the time, she was seven. Uh, And uh, it was about 13 or 14 years ago now. But uh, she came home from school one day, and she was very upset because she has freckles and red hair. She's adorable. But uh, they were kind of the new kids on the block. They had moved there from Texas to Tennessee, and some kids decided to like make her life miserable, calling her like carrot top and freckle face and all these names associated with her freckles and red hair. And uh, she was genuinely upset. I mean, she came home, she was in tears and was uh, complaining to her dad about these kids giving her such a hard time and picking on her. And Alan being the ever the songwriter, he uh, took a while to comfort her, I hope. And then, you know, quickly wrote down these two phrases that she kept saying. She was crying. She said, don't laugh at me. I want to say to them, don't laugh at me. Don't call me names. And he wrote both those phrases down. Fortuitously, I was getting together with him the next day uh, to do a collaborative effort, which we often do when I'm in Nashville. And he shared that story with me. And it really had an impact on me because it also led us to talk about not only our kids, but our own lives. And we had been friends for a good 10 years, but we had never brought up to each other about whether, hey, have you ever been bullied? You don't, like, I don't just sit here and, Alan, have you ever been bullied? You don't just bring that up out of the blue. Well, that conversation led us to bring that up and talk in great uh, detail about some things we still remembered from our past uh, in our childhood. Like? Well, like... I was always the kid who was, I was a bit overweight. I was really slow. Like there's a line in the song that says, I'm the kid on every playground who's always chosen last. 
That's me. You were the kid. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, and I, like a lot of kids, I was good at a lot of things. I, I played piano when I was six years old and guitar when I was nine years old. And I was very talented in a lot of areas. Sports was not my thing, you know. So I didn't even care about that. But as you know, sports is a place where kids often take some ridicule if they're not very good at getting the ball in the basket or running the race. Or It's pretty obvious when you're last in the relay race and you're lagging behind. So that was my uh, personal experience with that. Plus the first line, I'm the, I'm the little boy with glasses, the one they call the geek. I first got glasses when I was like six or seven years old. So you're and the if, geek we're talking about, huh? Absolutely. You Mr. Know. Geek, welcome to our station. I, I think also um, you with all this traveling that you're doing, talking to, talking to students, what do you get out of that? What do they tell you about the whole idea of bullying after they listen to the song? Well, the interesting thing is that kids as young as first, second grade are hurting. Um, you find out that they already have experienced ridicule and people picking on them and calling them names, and they've already developed... Um, they don't always have the ability to just throw it over their shoulders. So they've already developed a little fear and phobia of it where they're scared to go to school. Um, in second grade, third grade, first grade, it's, it's pretty uh, amazing. Um, I was in New Jersey the other day, and some kid told me in third grade that some other kids circulated a petition that they tried to get every uh, kid in this class to sign to not play with this one girl to completely reject this was, her. This was one girl about another girl? This was one girl, and it was it was actually uh, a girl and a boy decided to team up to get... They started this petition against this other kid. And I'm like, really? In third grade? Like, somebody did that? Yeah, did it was she, at our school. Did she, she find said. out why they did it? I mean, did they give her any reason for their bad behavior? I didn't... I'm sorry, I don't know the actual uh, the, the actual reason behind it but just the fact that that would happen is, is beyond comprehension to me you know well, what other experiences have you had you go into a classroom you teach them also or a workshop and you teach them how to write songs don't you I do a couple of programs at schools on behalf of Operation Respect. One of them is simply an assembly program where it's centered around Don't Laugh at Me, and I sing other songs about kindness, respect, uh, appreciation of diversity. And, uh, and then I do a program where I actually write songs with the students, and the goal of that is twofold. One is to instill love of creativity in them. Uh, because I think writing is really a good way for kids to get stuff off their chest. And also, they do a lot of creative writing in school. So writing a song is not that much different. Uh, Self-esteem. Self -esteem, diversity, yes. Yeah, all uh, that good stuff than writing a poem or a short story. But also, to me, it gets them talking in their language, their lingo. I help them put it together, but all the words in the songs we create are from the hearts and minds of those students. So then it becomes them saying to each other those messages, which is a little different than me as an adult coming in and saying, here, kids, let me sing to you about kindness and respect. Um, that's a little bit different than them creating it. I'll give you a quick example. I wrote a song with sixth graders called We Don't Do That Here. And it's just all about how we don't tease each other here. We don't call each other names here. And in this verse of it, there's a scenario where a kid is being bullied and where the soccer team members come over. So it be they become, instead of bystanders, they become upstanders, we call them. They come over and say, hey, what's going on here? What are you doing? 
Where are you from? We don't do that here. Like, so it becomes this thing of like, not at my school. And one of the goals of Operation Respect is to get kids to want their school to be a place of respect and kindness and a culture of a community like that. A culture. You went to the Middle East to try to do something about the peace there, didn't you? I did not go, but Peter Yarrow, who's really our, our main, of, of Peter, Paul, and Mary fame, who's our main spokesperson, he went to Israel because we um, implemented the program in about 25 schools in Israel. And uh, there's a, a lovely video that came out of that. It's called the Voices of Peace Choir. And it's 75 Israeli kids and 75 Palestinian kids singing together, don't laugh at me, in English, Hebrew, and Arabic, switching off. And it, I swear it'll break your heart and melt your heart. I mean, it's like if only the adults could get together, you know. Because I, I believe kids are not born with hate in their hearts. I think they learn it. It's part of society, you know. Bullies aren't born, I think, it, it, it's part of what goes on in, in their their lives uh, that create that. Are they made Are they made that way by parents or by other kids? Or do they learn to parents then do it to other kids? What do you uh, think? You know, I think there's a combination there going on. I have a song that I wrote called Somebody Taught Them, you know, and it's like somebody taught them to throw those stones. Somebody, you know, wounded their hearts. So I think they learn from other kids. I think they learn sometimes they don't have the greatest role models at home, but also the media. I think there's a lot of TV shows and a lot of movies and stuff where ridicule is almost celebrated and where we laugh at people's misfortunes, but that's in the movies. That, those are paid actors and actresses. Those aren't kids with, with hearts in real life, you know. That's the voice of Grammy-nominated songwriter Steve Seskin, who has written seven songs that made the number one Billboard country music charts. But the song that has won him the most attention is one called Don't Laugh at Me. And after it was recorded by the folk singing legends Peter, Paul, and Mary, everybody under the age of 10 learned all about it. I'm a little boy with glasses, the one they call a geek. A little girl who never smiles, Cause I've got braces on my teeth And I know how it feels To cry myself to sleep I'm that kid on every playground That's always chosen last A single teenage mother trying to overcome my past You don't have to be my friend is it too much to ask? Don't laugh at me Don't call me names Don't get your pleasure from my brain In God's eyes we're all the same Someday we'll all have perfect wings Don't laugh at me Steve, the origins of that recording took place at the Kerrville Folk Festival in Texas. Tell us about that. Well, the Kerrville Folk Festival, briefly, is an 18-day festival celebrating songwriters. It's, uh, it's somewhat about the performer, but it's mainly about songs. And as part of the festival, three days before the festival, they have a song school where budding young songwriters come and learn from people like me. So I was teaching a class. What year was that? Oh, boy, it was 1999. 
I was teaching a class, and the specifics of that class were point of view. So about using first person, second person, third person in songs. And, uh, you know, Don't Laugh at Me has a very interesting use of first person. I am the little boy with glasses. I am the beggar on the corner. I am the kid on every playground. Well, obviously, I'm not all of those people. So it's a device, a literary and songwriting device. And I use that as an example. And at the end of the class, this young woman comes up to me and she says, I like the class a lot. And, you know, my dad really needs to hear that song. And I, I don't think I was too glib about it, but I said, well, you know, I have it on a CD. You could, when's his birthday? You could like pick him up a copy and then he could hear it. And she said, well, you know, my dad is Peter Yarrow from Peter, Paul and Mary. And I said, oh, well, he really does need to hear that. I happen to have some in the car, right? I'll walk in the hundred degree heat to get it. You ran, right? How many do you need? You know, because obviously to me, I grew up, listening to Peter, Paul, and Mary, and I've always had a connection to music in terms of social issues. and So this was like a big moment for me. And uh, so sure enough, I got her a copy of it. The next day, Peter was flying into town to play at the festival on Friday, and I was playing there Thursday night. Bethany, like only a daughter could do, picked up Peter at the airport and said, Dad, we're not going to the hotel. We're going to a concert of another singer-songwriter. I'm sure he was thrilled. She said to him, you have to hear this song. And so sure enough, long story short, he, she brought him to the show. He loved the song. He brought it back to Paul and Mary. They started singing it. And two years later, the day after Columbine happened, I got a call from Peter. Columbine, the massacre? Oh. The massacre, the horrible, horrific day in Colorado, in Littleton, Colorado. I got a call from Peter, and that event was really the birth of Operation Respect because, you know, we were all affected by that day. But Peter made a connection between the song Don't Laugh at Me and how it could be used. Frankly, that wasn't my doing. That was Peter's doing. He had a vision. Well, a lot of people have visions, and they, you know, we all have them, and we don't always do something about them. I think it took him about two months after getting our permission to use the song in a program, and we donated it to that program. Um, it took him about two months to raise about four or five hundred thousand dollars by calling people on the phone and saying, "I want an arts-based curriculum that uses." song, theater skits, art projects, all art-based ways of methods of, of imparting messages of kindness and respect to kids. And he enlisted many, many noted educators to write it. And Peter's a, a mover and a shaker. And he runs around the world doing the same thing as you're doing. Absolutely. Is right? he, is, uh, he walks the walk and talks the talk. He's dedicated his life to, for the last 12 years to Operation Respect. I mean, just about full time. Do people actually know, I mean, everybody talks about bullying. Do they really know the impact of it, in your experience? I'm not sure that most people realize the extent to which it affects our youth. Um, you know, one, one statistic that's really interesting to me is that 160,000 kids, approximately, stay home from school every day in America who are not sick. They're not ill. Why do they stay home? Because they're afraid to go or because they're being taunted or teased or bullied. 
and they don't want to go to school because every ethnic group, every every across uh, class, the board, across the board, people who make the most, the ninety percent and the ten percent. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because I think that's another misperception is that some think people think, uh, oh, yeah, in those areas, the low socioeconomic areas, they probably have way more problems with this. No, um, I'm not saying they have less, but they don't have, you know, way more than I've been to schools that are pretty ritzy little areas where there's still bullying going on and power imbalance and um you know god forbid you're a kid in a wealthy area who lives on the fringe of town kind of deal and you don't wear the the 200 dollar nike sneakers or whatever you know there there's a, a lot of it going on and it hurts our kids i i think they don't you know my my notion is your head does not work as well when your heart is hurting and there's enough things in life that hurt our hearts you know, on a, that just happen, that occur, that we can't prevent, that we don't need another thing that is so systemic as bullying to make it harder for kids to do well in school. And the bullies then grow up to become bigger bullies, don't they? Well, absolutely. There's plenty of adults. Where do you think that, that somebody taught them thing? You know, uh, a lot of times it's us, as in adults, that kids are, are, are learning this stuff from, you know. What kind of advice would you give parents about this? How do you handle it when a a kid who might be even bragging about bullying comes home and says, you know what I did to Tommy? I really told him. I really made him feel it. Well, I mean, obviously that's going to depend on the parent, but uh, because there are t- sometimes where teachers have told me that their biggest problems are the parents. That, that the, you know, the, the, uh, the kid came home. The, let's do the opposite kid comes home and says so and so called me a, a name or something and the parent says go home, go back to school and and punch him out <laughs> flatten him out you know that doesn't really solve anything what should know? they do well we're at operation respect we're trying to teach kids to use uh, a little bit more sensible conflict resolution so it may sound corny or whatever but like the idea of talking it over, the idea of involving an adult when needed, um, some sort of uh, arbitration is not exactly the right word. But How about parent talking to parent? Absolutely. And it, this also depends on the age of the kids, you know. Um, what's, the, what's the hardest thing for them to overcome? What age do you think, in your experience? Well, you know, I, I think that when kids are younger, uh, they tend to, like, shake it off a little bit better. Um, and they also always go to a trusted adult. So they don't, a first grader's not necessarily going to work things out between each other, you know. They're going to go tell and so John, Johnny called me, and then they're going to work it out, you know. I think one of the toughest ages, though, these days is middle school and even high school, but especially middle school. You know how kids are like... Middle school at what age? Middle school is in seven, eight seventh eighth grade so we're talking 13 14 they're, they're not quite adults yet and they're not quite in high school yet in terms of looking towards college or really thinking about what they're going to do with their life but they're not kids anymore as in you know 10 you know what i mean they've got that little young adult thing going on tweeners i think they call them they do you know and that is an age where kids seem to be uh, particularly cruel to each other. And they start doing the leave out syndrome and the you can't come Excluding to our party. Excluding. Exclusion. Facebook. Which is a, a form of bullying. It's not as overt. 
as a, a physical confrontation. But, you know, there's a lot of, not to be too serious here, but there's a lot of teen suicide and it's not all attributable to bullying, but some of it certainly is to kids being ostracized or left out or to the point where they just uh, don't want to go to school anymore or don't even want to be around anymore. So I think it's important that we address it and that we're proactive about it. Operation Respect does not think we're going to like our program, use our program, we're going to solve all your problems with bullying. Absolutely not. But better than not talking about it, you know, and just sort of sweeping it under the rug. Boys will be boys, girls will be girls. That's the generation I grew up in. I don't think that works anymore. You're not a uh, one-song guy. There's been a lot of parts to uh, Steve Seskin. Tell me about those parts. Well, I have a, a fairly multifaceted career, and for the last 25 years, I spend a lot of time uh, in Nashville, and I write songs for other people, as I like to put it, that are way more famous than me. Um, so I've written songs for like Tim McGraw and Kenny Chesney and John Michael Montgomery and uh, Peter Frampton. Peter Frampton, I wrote a song with actually, and uh, I've written songs with John Bon Jovi as well. Um, and so I do a lot of collaboration, and it's mainly it's interesting how did a, a, a as I put it a Jewish kid from the Bronx end up writing songs mainly in Nashville for country music artists. The answer is I don't know, but. Uh, no, I, I think a lot of people don't realize that country music is the only genre, commercial genre of music, where most of the artists don't write their own songs. So they're looking, when you when somebody hears on the radio somebody like Tim McGraw singing, he's never written a song in his life. So they're looking for 10 to 12 songs every time they do an album, whereas like uh, Sting or Paul Simon or whatever, they're not looking for my songs, they write their own which is fine. So that's why there's a, over 2,500 writers in Nashville who live there. And uh, it's very competitive, but they supply songs for the artists who are the singers. Um, so that's another part of my career. And in fact, before um, Peter, Paul, and Mary got a hold of Don't Laugh at Me, a guy named Mark Wills recorded it there, and it was out on the hit parade um, in country music. So so that's part of it. And then I also do concerts and uh uh, I teach songwriting to other people as well, and I, I kind of uh, diversify is how I like to put it, and I, I enjoy all the facets of my career. So. What's the uh, what do you really want to accomplish when you sing all those folk songs? What's what's the message? Well, I have always been uh, a bit of a philosopher, you know, and I, uh, you know, I, I in college I was a psychosos major. I've always been interested in uh, matters of the heart. And when I went into music, I grew up on, you know, the Weavers meet Peter, Paul, and Mary meet uh, the Kingston Trio, and then the next generation of singer-songwriters like Jackson Brown and Joni Mitchell and uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young and all kinds of people like that who, if you think back to that era, there was a time when there was a lot of meat on the bones on the lyric side in songs. People were using songs to make a statement, make changes. Four Dead in Ohio, you know, if you remember, I grew up in that uh, that era, and it impressed me, the power of music, you know. It impressed me when Peter, Paul, and Mary sang, you know, Blowing in the Wind to 250,000 people at the I Have a Dream speech in Washington, D.C. Have you written any songs about the Bronx, about your native homeland? Not directly about the Bronx, as in naming the Bronx, but I certainly have written some songs about growing up in New York. 
And, you know, uh, the one I can think of is a song just about the savvy that I gained from, you know, the, the old phrase, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere uh, in New York. I really believe that. I mean, growing up in New York prepared me for anything. Steve Seskin, who lives in San Francisco, recently brought his anti-bullying campaign to schools in New Jersey. His former music partner, Harvey Rich, and his daughter, Darian, participate in that program called Operation Respect in their New Jersey community. That program is funded by the Lori Foundation, which is also an underwriter of this program. Javi, what impact has that had on you? Watching all, watching uh, Steve do all his things at these various schools. Well, it it showed me how how we're able to empower kids to feel good about themselves by writing a song together. And by writing the song together, it strengthens them and unites them, and they feel, they felt a special bond together. And at the end of the the day, the whole row was shaking back and forth, you know, moving back and forth with the song that they wrote called "Side by Side," and it brought tears to my eyes. So they're they're empowered right away that when anything should happen in their school, they have a somewhere to turn, talk to talk to their friends, and and if in if need be, talk to an adult. So they're more empowered to do that, and they're not as afraid anymore. Did you cry? I cried, yeah. I cried when I saw Steve walk into the classroom, and they're all waiting for him. They never saw him before. And in 10 minutes, they were all singing side by side. And I went, how did he do it? <laughs> how does he do it? Well, Darian, It was phenomenal to me. Darian does it. You, you've uh, sung the song for uh, trying to help disabled kids. Uh, and you're a, you're a master's uh, candidate at uh, Rutgers University. What, how do you use a song? Um, well, I'm currently um, getting my master's in social work. And a couple weeks ago in my diversity and oppression class, I had to do a presentation on uh, people with disabilities. And at the end, I played the song, Don't Laugh at Me. And uh, the class was b- mainly a group of adults. And I could just see how, um, how this much the song really impacted them. Um, to see how people with disabilities really are bullied and how everybody can do something to help. What did the parents tell you? Um, they were just, you know, they said they were really touched by the words and, um, you know, the, the line, we, we are all the same um, and nobody is different. I, I could just, you know, they said it, it really affected them. And you? Oh, yeah, the, the song, it's very, very important to me. Um, I've worked a lot with people with disabilities, and it's made me more aware and sensitized to how people with disabilities um, are judged, and people need to be aware of when they say language like, you know, that's so retarded, or you're retarded, because um, it's derogatory and offensive to people. Harvey, and you have some thoughts about that as well, I'm sure. Give us a, give us a couple of words about how you feel about this whole project. Well, it, as an adult, uh, you see bullying going on it's it, at work and in social circles and family circles, and you just got to put a stop to when someone is making you feel bad, uh, disrespecting you, uh, you've got to stand up and say, don't talk to me like that. You know, as adults, that's what we need to do. Don't laugh at me. Right. Uh, Darian, Harvey, thank you for sharing all that with us. Now we're gonna hear your version of Don't Laugh At Me. I'm a little boy with glasses, the one they call a geek. A little girl who never smiles, cause I've got braces on my teeth. And I know how 
it feels to cry myself to sleep. I'm that kid on every playground who's always chosen last. A single teenage mother trying to overcome my past. You don't have to be my friend, but is it too much to ask? Don't laugh at me, don't call me names, don't get your pleasure from my pain. In God's eyes, we're all the same. Someday we'll all have perfect wings. Don't laugh at me. Joanna Wolper is the senior producer of our program, and Doug Doyle is the news director. Thurston Briscoe is our executive producer. Conrad Saguinetti is our engineer. Inga Korsgaard is our photographer. This program is available online, on your mobile, or free of charge on iTunes. Until our next conversation, I'm Alan Wolper. Don't laugh at me. Don't call me names. Don't get your pleasure from my pain. In God's eyes, we're all the same. Someday we'll all have perfect wings. Don't laugh at me. Special thanks to Phantom Audio, a full-service production studio in New York's Flatiron District. And support for Conversations with Alan Wolper has been provided by the Blanche and Irving Laurie Foundation. Don't laugh at me. Don't call me names. Don't get your pleasure from my pain In God's eyes, we're all the same